Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are talking about a topic that I think is really, really important to be talking about in so many domains of occupational therapy, but it's too often overlooked. And today, we're taking a deeper dive into interoception. So interoception is the self-awareness of our internal state. And we are speaking with the one and only Kelly Mailer. So Kelly is an occupational therapist and she's been an OT for 17 years now, working with school-aged children and adults. She's actively involved in several research projects pertaining to interoception, which is super exciting. And she's published seven books on a variety of topics related to social and emotional growth. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Rhiannon, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Super excited to have you on because this, like I said, this is a topic that I think we've heard about, but we didn't really study at OT school or we're just not doing anything in our, in our day-to-day work when we're working with our clients. So super excited to dive into this. But before we do, we kind of backtrack a little bit and I'd love to find out how you came to do the work that you're doing today. How did you get here? That's a great question. I mean, I just kind of am a believer that things happen. I just kind of like let, let it happen. But in terms of like interoception and how I got to the place of really studying and writing about interoception, um, I was working with a friend of mine, Brenda Smith-Miles, and we were revising a book that she had previously written. We were doing the second edition um, and it was all about sensory processing and autism. Um, and at that point in time, when we were revising her book, I had heard the word interoception before, but I didn't really know what it meant. Like I, I associated it with, it with toileting. Like I thought it was a toileting thing, which is like kind of embarrassing, but that's what I thought. And so through revising this book with Brenda, I discovered I was just reading like lots of research and evidence on interoception and it became very apparent that I was wrong, that it's not just an inter- uh, a toileting thing, that interoception has such a vast influence on all of our lives and I was just completely hooked. Um, and through publishing that book with Brenda, um, we also um, started talking about our book and everyone had lots of questions like what is this interoception thing and you know it just kind of took off from there um and it's been a wild ride and it really like it's not my only professional interest as an OT but it definitely has had the biggest impact on my practice um and the way that I can understand and support my clients Mm, so interesting and that's it like I feel a lot of us have heard of it but we don't know exact, exactly what it is or how it affects us or um, the kinds of intervention approaches that we can use to support interoception, our interoceptive sense. So I'd love to dive into that. And, you know, as an OT working with kids as well, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, our standardised assessments when we're looking at sensory processing covers every other sense except for interoception. And so it really is this forgotten sense. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what is interoception? Sure. Um, So as you mentioned, interoception is a sense. So technically I consider it the eighth sense, you know, because as OTs, we talk about the seven senses. So interoception is our eighth sense. And it works just like all of the other senses where 
um, we have a set of receptors located within our bodies that's in charge of pulling in sensory information. And for interoception, we have receptors for the sense located extensively throughout the insides of our bodies. So you have receptors for interoception in all of your major organs, like your heart, your lungs, your stomach, your bladder, your colon. We have them in our skin, our muscles, the whites of our eyeballs. So these receptors are in charge of pulling in information about how all of these different body parts are feeling or like what is the condition of these body parts. So like the receptors in our bladder pulling in information, like is our bladder full, is it empty? The receptors in our heart, like pulling in information, like is our heart racing? Is it beating slowly? Is it, is it hurting? Um, and so these receptors pulling in the information about how all of these different body parts are feeling. And then um, our brain is able to use these incoming interception messages as clues to our emotional experience. Um, so if the receptors from our bladder are saying, oh, your bladder's full, your bladder's full, our brain can use that as, oh, you need to go to the bathroom. Um, or maybe the receptors in our heart pulling in information that our heart is racing, our brain can use that as a clue that maybe we're feeling anxious or nervous. So interoception um, is the sense that gives us um, awareness and information about the internal condition of our body. And that awareness, that information is pivotal to our emotional experience. Uh, and I think for so long, like emotions were viewed as this like cognitive construct that our brain was creating. And we forgot about an entire body. And as OTs, we're really good about knowing about the body and interoception just helps us to become even more aware and really understand even more so how important our bodies are. Mm, I love how you described that. That was such a perfect description. Um, can you explain then the link between interoception and emotions to make that a bit clearer for us? Yeah, so the way our body feels is what then our brain can use that as exactly what emotion we're experiencing in the moment. And um, interoception is like so highly unique for each one of us. So like what your body feels like when you're anxious is different than what my body feels like when I'm anxious. Or what your body feels like when you're hungry is different than what my body feels like when I'm hungry. But for over time, many of us that have pretty... Um, clear emotion or interceptive experiences, we learn over time what our bodies are feeling like. We, we start to tune in, we start to understand our bodies. And so like maybe for me, I notice like a growly feeling stomach and I have learned over time that that's my sign that I'm hungry. Um, or I know that when I am um, very anxious, I get such tension in my shoulders and neck. And I know for me, that is my sign that I am feeling really anxious. So there's just that clear body emotion connection. And it's all because of interoception. Mm. And so understanding our internal body sensations and state can help us better answer the question, how are you feeling? Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Interoception is the sense that lets us know, that allows us to answer that question. How are you feeling? Mm. And so people who have challenges with, understanding or receiving well, the brain interpreting and processing the information that it's being sent from our organs and our skin. If they have challenges processing this information, how, how does that play out? Um, well, if you are struggling with interoception, that can look um, in many different ways, but a lot of times, um, for these individuals, their um, emotional experience is really unclear. Um, they have a hard time identifying exactly how they're feeling in a given moment. And so if you don't know exactly how you're feeling, it really makes it hard to manage how you're feeling. So like I have clients that they don't notice feelings of hunger in their body. So they're reliant on a caregiver to remind them to eat or adult clients, they don't, or even pediatric clients, they don't notice that feeling of hunger, so they overeat, and many times that can lead to obesity. Um, or they might not um, notice the signs of like a building meltdown, and so they're all of a sudden in a full-blown meltdown, and it, di it they didn't even, it just kind of like comes out of comes out of nowhere um, is what they report. Or like I have a lot of parents that will describe their child as going from like zero to 100 in like a split second, right? And um, a lot of times it's because that child is missing those subtle internal 
clue saying, hey, something's off here. And then all of a sudden they're just in this full meltdown. So it really, like, it can look so different, have such a vast influence on so many occupations, <laughs> toileting and sleep and feeding. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, but yeah, the, 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 if you're struggling with interception, it um, can look very different. And it really depends on, like, we could, all of us have different interception profiles. So for me, like I might, my body might be giving me clear messages about certain emotions. Like I might clearly be aware of like when I'm bored or frustrated, but um, I might miss the signals for telling me when I'm sleepy or hungry. Um, so it, it really depends on like what emotions are being impacted and then it, it affects the occupational performance picture. Mm. And so do we, do we view it in the same way as we can be under-responsive and over-responsive to certain cues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the best way we understand it right now is that um, many people have like a sensory modulation disorder, um, if you want to go with that nosology by Lucy Jane Miller um, and colleagues. So we know for some people, they can be under-responsive to their internal signals, to their interceptive signals. So they might just completely miss important signals like that growling stomach or that full bladder or that racing heart. Um, or for those people, they don't notice those sensations. Um, they only notice them when they're really intense. So they don't notice they're hungry until they are like hangry, like that screaming, like, ah, I need to eat now, right? Um, but then on the other hand, we know that for some people, they can be over responsive to their internal signals um and so like they can like feel so many different sensations happening inside their body at once it's like really overwhelming they don't know what to pay attention to what's important or they have one sensation that's so intense it pulls all of their attention so like people with panic disorder would have over responsive internal signals like they get stuck on that racing heart um, you know, or the breathlessness feeling, or people with chronic pain can have they can have this over responsivity to these pain signals in their body. Pain is processed in the interoceptive system, um, and so we you know you can be under responsive, you can be over responsive, and just like every sense, you can fluctuate back and forth between over responsive and under responsive. Like you know, it doesn't fit in a nice, neat little tidy box. Just like all of our other sensory systems. And I can see how this has such a massive impact on engagement and participation in day-to-day -day life and why it is so important for us as occupational therapists to be addressing this in our work. What are some of the areas or client groups that we can be assessing interoception? What do you say? I mean, I mean, it could be any client group, really, you know, because we all have this sense and it depends, I suppose, on the goals that we're working towards and the challenges that the client faces. But when should we be assessing this sense and what does an assessment look like, considering we don't have any sort of standardized measures for it? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm probably biased, but I agree with you. And I think that this, uh, that knowing about interception is something that every um, occupational therapist needs to be aware of. And it is something that we need to be curious about for every single client. Like what, how is their interceptive system impacting their ability to participate? Um, in terms of assessment, that's one of the greatest debates out there right now in the interception field. Like all the researchers are like, this is the way, and this is the way, like no one can agree. Um, so we really don't have a like 100% reliable way of assessing interception. Um, there's self-report measure measures out there. There's some like free open resources. One is called the Multidimensional Assessment of Interceptive Awareness. So it's MAIA2. It's free. You can find it out there. You can look at it. It was designed for use in a healthy adult population. Um, so then when I am trying to assess interoception in either my adult clients that have neuro differences or my pediatric clients, the tools that are widely available aren't really applicable to them. They're really kind of um, abstractly worded. Uh, doesn't really get at the functional piece too, which is what kind of we want to know as OTs. Um, so I do have an assessment tool that is available that I created and published 
quite a few years ago. It's definitely not perfect. It has a lot of flaws, but it's all we have right now. But I am working with some researchers at Temple University, which is in Philadelphia. Um, and we are working towards developing a standardized assessment, but I'm told that's like a five-year process. So yeah, we have a long way to wait. Um, so yeah, assessing is really hard. And I just think like as OTs, we just need to zoom out and like look at the functional piece and like really understand interoception and how it impacts um, our ability to participate. And then I guess move forward in, in with that information. Um, but I know I do work in some in some settings like schools that they want a formal assessment in order to justify why they're paying me to to come in and, and provide intervention. Um, so that's when we use the assessment tool that I created. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, with this assessment, like you said, it is, it needs to be self-report because it is so subjective. It's, it's really difficult to measure unless we're wearing, you know, heart rate monitors and sort of assessing heart rate in different contexts and that kind of thing. Is that something that's done? Like anything, any, are there any objective measures of interoception? Yeah. So um, researchers use um, something called the heartbeat detection task, um, and they can do it in different ways. But one of the main ways that it's used in research is they'll hook the um, research participant up to like a um, heartbeat, a heartbeat monitor, um, but they don't let the participant see the heartbeat monitor. Um, and then they ask the participant to count their heartbeats and how many times their heartbeats in one minute or a certain duration of time. And then they compare the participant's answer to what they measure. Um, through the heartbeat monitor and see how accurate that is. Um, and so that's a really commonly used objective measure. To me as an OT, I find so many flaws with that. Like, because first of all, that's not how interception works. Like you don't have someone, like I'm not standing beside you saying, pay attention to your heart right now. Like that's not the way it works, right? And even more so like, you could easily guess on a measure like that, like, oh, I think my heart was beating 60 times that, you know, like it, it's just, um, it's not real life context. It's not real life context. And plus then I want to know, okay, even if you are super accurate and you were able to count your heartbeats, do you know what that heartbeat feeling means? Like, can you take it one step forward further? And, and like, can you tie it to your emotional experience? So like, it's just so flawed, um, which is, my biased opinion is why OTs need to develop the interoception measures that we use. Um, but I, I do, I do understand why objective measures are really important as well. Mm. Well, let's go to sort of therapy and what we can be doing in therapy to support people to understand their interoceptive sense and to yeah, however we use it in therapy, I'd love to find out more. Um, yeah. Is interoception something that we can improve? Mm -hmm. like, can we improve yeah. our understanding of our sense and how do we do this? Yeah, so research clearly, clearly demonstrates that interoception can be improved. Um, and research clearly indicates that improving interoception is good for every single one of us. So this is not just something that we can do with our clients. This is something we can do with ourselves, our families, the, the other professionals that we team with, um, because nurturing everyone's interceptive awareness is so important. Um, and right now, the only evidence-based intervention for improving interoception is mindfulness. Um, and I think that's important as OTs that we also understand that because um, historically, um, OTs are not very good at putting evidence behind our interventions. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of amazing frameworks out there that don't have enough evidence to support it. So I wanna make sure that we learn from the most, those mistakes and we move this interception work forward with evidence. And so right now, the only thing that is established in the evidence is that mindfulness improves interoceptive awareness. Um, now, that being said, like mindfulness or your ability to pay attention to your body in the present moment, like we know that it has a lot of benefits, including improving interoception. But the problem is that it's really a mismatch, like traditional mindfulness is a mismatch for a lot of our learners, especially if you're supporting someone that has 
um, neurodifferences or a pediatric client, or maybe even someone that has a history of trauma and, and an unsafe relationship with their body. So traditional mindfulness is a real mismatch for a lot of people. Um, and so what we've done as good OTs do, we have adapted mindfulness and made them, made it safer, more accessible to a wider variety of people. Mm. So what does this look like? What can it look like? What kind of mindfulness? What, what would a session entail if we're focusing on mindfulness? Yeah, so it's really different for every client, but um, I'll just kind of be a little generic here. But one of the biggest things that we do is we um, chunk mindfulness down into one body part at a time. So it's not like asking someone to like really like pay attention to your whole body and what are you noticing. So we'll like start with body parts on the outside of the body because that's so much more concrete. So for example, we'll work on the hands and the different ways your hands are feeling. Um, the other thing that is quite different is that we're doing mindfulness while um, our clients are engaged in meaningful occupation. Um, so we might start a little bit um, with some contrived situations, like some fun like experiments, like holding an ice cube or an ice pack and how, how do your hands feel when you do that? Or squeezing a stress ball and how do your hands feel when you're squeezing it? Um, and then we, as our learners are starting to understand, like, to understand and they're able to notice and label these sensations, then we move it into helping them to notice how their hands are feeling during daily occupations. Um, and then as they become more successful with that, then we move on to a different body part. And so we cumulatively build over time their ability to notice their entire body, but we're doing it in really engaging, fun ways um, that makes it feel a lot safer for many people. We're also doing the work when they're calm, regulated. We're not doing this when they are in the midst of a meltdown or they're having a bad day. It's always during this fun, uh, regulated time so that they're cluing into their body when it's feasibly feeling pretty comfortable. Mm. And they can obviously incorporate this mindfulness into their day-to-day -day life, which is the goal. You know, the goal is for them to understand their body in the real life context of life. Yeah. Um, so what kind of strategies would we be suggesting for them to take outside of therapy? Yeah, so once we like really establish their ability um, to notice different body parts and really understanding um, the language piece of what, to, what it is that they're noticing, then, then we try to move it. Like you said, we obviously our big goal is for them to notice the way their body feels outside of our session during daily lives, uh, their life. Um, and so we really try to help our caregivers that are supporting our clients or their clients themselves to find ideal times when they could tune in. So let's just say, um, we're working on, the, we'll go back to the hands, different ways your hands can feel. So what are some great daily occupations for you to tune in to the way your hands are feeling? So we try to pick times that evoke or tend to evoke a stronger feeling in that body part because it gives them a better chance of noticing something. So like when you're washing your hands, just take a second to tune in and, and notice how your hands are feeling. Or when for kids, like when you're playing with Play-Doh or, or clay or you're hanging from monkey bars or um, for anyone, like when you're writing or typing, like just take a time to just tune in and notice just how one body part feels. Um, chunking the work is good for so many reasons, but a lot of our learners that need this work, they get very overwhelmed. So when we can help um, help to reduce the overwhelm. And when you're just asking someone to just, this week, all we're gonna do is just become more mindfully aware of how your hands are feeling. Um, that becomes a lot of an easier ask than this week, we're gonna notice how your entire body is feeling all the time. Like that's like too much for many of my dysregulated learners. Um, and so it's been really quite successful. And we like even have taken like, um, things that people do on a daily basis, like yoga and exercise. And rather than focusing on the actual pose or the exercise itself, we're focusing on how is that yoga pose? How is that exercise, like sit-ups? How is that making a certain body part feel? Um, so we're like really giving it an explicit interception spin. Um, so like when you're holding a plank, how are your hands feeling during that plank, right? Or when you're doing a wall push-up, how are your hands feeling during that wall push-up? 
Mm. And I know for myself, like sometimes I, when I take too much on, I will experience anxiety. And the way I know that I feel this is because my heart, like I can, I feel my heart, like I honestly feel it really beating fast. And I don't think of, like, I don't think of, oh, interoception, you know, that's not the first thing I think of, but I think of, oh my gosh, my heart's beating really fast. I need to slow down. So that's sort of my body cue. And what I do is I tend to tell myself to take some deep breaths. And that's what I do to just calm my body and just to be present again in the moment. Um, And I can see how so many of our clients will have challenges in their day-to-day life that are um, influenced by by their interoceptive sense and what's going on inside their body. And I would love to have a chat with you about some certain challenges that our clients may be facing and what we can do as OTs to support them or to bring their awareness to their internal sense. Um, And yeah, and even if there are any sort of evidence-informed practices or approaches that we can be using that maybe aren't evidence-based are there any are there any because i know we have we do have such a strong focus on evidence-based and i think that's fantastic but i I sometimes think the research hasn't caught up with maybe what our clients know to be true that works Mm -hmm. for them you know there's this kind of balancing act we have to do as well um yeah i might start with one of them and that's chronic constipation so if we're seeing someone who's got chronic constipation this is an internal um body issue what are some things we can talk about or do in our sessions to help our clients move through this yeah I think you probably picked the most the most uh the trickiest one uh, <laughs> to start with um but yeah nothing like I mean, a challenge <laughs> I mean constipation I mean I don't think any of us would disagree that there's just so many factors at play here many times it is uh, that constipation is influenced by a limited diet right um, that constipation might be um, impacted by medications. That constipation also can have an interoception um, piece to it as well. Not feeling the need to uh, eliminate, then that uh, the bowels get backed up, the colon stretches, the colon then becomes even more desensitized, and it's like just this, you know, nonstop kind of, um, I guess, ongoing cycle. Um, I do work and I teach with um, an OT colleague of mine, Dr. Carrie Hampel, and she's so much more um, of an expert in the field of pooping. Um, I always get her poop gifts because she's just like, that's her thing. Um, Not real poop, but you know, like just fun little poop books, but um, she's really quite brilliant, but she really, we do a lot of toileting and interception studies and we use the interception curriculum. Um, and she's really big into making sure that we are not doing too much interception for these kids that are chronically constipated before we address the constipation first, because we don't want to get ourselves into a situation where we are working on them starting to notice the way their bodies are feeling and they're still backed up. And now they're starting to become more aware of like really, I mean, being constipated is very uncomfortable. Um, And so we wanna make sure that we're addressing the constipation piece um, first and coming in then with the interoception piece. And she doesn't necessarily do it like first then, like first first the diet, first the constipation, then the interoception, but she wants to make sure that we get the bowels moving just a little bit before we start doing the work. And then it's kind of like you're working on all of that together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like a really great point for us all to know as OTs um, that we don't, you know, want to just do interoception for constipation. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. And I think like what you said, we are looking at the whole person. So it's important to realize that interoception is a piece of this, but it's looking at it in the context of everything about them. So really taking this holistic approach and it's one thing that we can be zooming in on if we assess it as a problem. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that probably there's so many OTs out there that are great at helping with these toileting needs. And I think that uh, one of the biggest pieces that are missing is the interception piece. So if you can add that in to all of the other amazing things that you're working on, whether it's, you know, the pelvic floor strength or, you know, whatever, like all the things that you're working on and add that interception piece, it just really helps to our clients to reach that even higher level of success. Mm. And it's supposed to flow on from the constipation is like wetting, like daytime wetting or nighttime wetting. Um, is there anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, interception is definitely at play there too. Um, and really not a, um, a typical thing that's included in many of our toileting programs. Um, so, and if you really stop to think about how do you know when you need to go to the bathroom, if you really stop and think about that, um, it most likely is going to be an interception answer. Like, oh, I noticed like this feeling in my, you know, lower abdomen or wherever it is for you. Um, and that's, that is your indication that it's time for you to go to the bathroom. Um, and so it, from a common sense perspective, I think it like, you know, it makes a lot of sense, but, um, we definitely need to get better at incorporating that into the toileting supports that we provide. Mm -hmm. And again, would it be, you know, alongside any sort of um, written assessment where they might be answering questions, self-report, what kind of questions can we ask? What kind of questions could we be asking parents or a child about um, if we're trying to find out a bit more information? Yeah. So if you're doing self-report, you could just um, say, well, I mean, I wouldn't come at them with a, with a, with this question first, but you could say like things like, tell me what, like, what does your body feel like when you have to go to the bathroom or like be even more specific? Like, what does your body feel like when you have to pee or what does it feel like when you have to poop? Or you could say like, how do you know when you have to pee? How do you know when you have to poop? So we're really looking at like, are they aware of their body signals? Um, but you can start those questions with like, tell me like, what, what does your body feel like when you are excited or happy and then like slowly work your way in mm -hmm. um, to the toileting questions. And then we also are asking caregivers, we have um, part of the assessment that I have is a caregiver questionnaire. But like you said, like it's really hard for a caregiver to report on an inner subjective experience of their child. Um, we do have like an observation scale that's coming out in May, but like it's more just asking like about the toileting and other habits. But like for, for the toileting questions is like, does your child um, have accidents, daytime accidents, nighttime accidents. Does your um, child run to the bathroom in a last minute emergency? Um, like those are all signs like um, that someone, like if they're running to the bathroom in a last minute emergency all the time, then you could be curious about do they have under responsive interceptive signals when it comes to toileting? Because they're not noticing that subtle feeling. And then it's all of a sudden like, ah, like an intense, like, oh my gosh, I have to go to pee. And then they're running to the toilet. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is that we don't have developmental norms yet for interception. So I think, not I think, I know that there's an actually an average or that's a typical experience of a certain age of a child when they wait until the last minute and then they're running. You know, but at what point does that become something that as OTs we should be addressing. Mm. And it's interesting, just when you said some kids are under-responsive to their like bladder needs, some kids are also over-responsive to it. So they'll go to the toilet even when they feel like the tiniest little bit and they're going every, you know, every break they get and then in between classes and it can be really interruptive to their day as well. Um, but they're really tuned into that sense. Yeah, that was And that's for adults as well. You know? <laughs> and I feel like I'm probably more on that side than the under-responsive side as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point and that we all have such a unique interception experience. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what about anxiety? Because there's, we, you know, this is a large, um, a lot of clients we work with experience anxiety um, that may be related to the condition that they have, or it could be the, the main condition that we're seeing them for. What sorts of things can we do in this space? Yeah, um, well, I know this is a very generalized statement, but 
as OTs, we are really good at teaching the coping skill part of it. <laughs> like, what do you do when you're anxious? But one of the things that we don't realize until this interception uh, work has come about is that many times our clients are confused about the way they're feeling. And so if we're just assuming like, when, you're, when we're saying, when you're anxious, do this, we're assuming that they clearly know when they're anxious, that they have this clear understanding, and that's what serves as their motivation to use the coping skills, which what we know is not true <laughs> for a lot of people. So we've been doing a really good job at the coping skill part, but we need to now rewind and we need to build that internal awareness, that those clues that serve as our motivation to want to use the coping strategies. Like our bodies are designed, every single one of our bodies are designed to notice discomfort. And that discomfort is so important because it is what cues us or motivates us to act, to want to regulate, to regain that homeostasis. Um, and it was just like you were saying, like you notice your heart rate racing and that serves as your clue that you should take deep breaths. But imagine if you weren't noticing your heart racing, would you ever take your deep breaths? Probably not. Right. Um, and so we need to get better at rewinding and really helping our learners to um, become more aware of their internal sensations and do so in a way that allows for a process of self-discovery. Like, I don't want to come in and teach you what my body feels like when I'm anxious, and that should be your experience too. Like, it, it is important that we accept and we validate every single person's inner experience and help them to discover their own inner experience. I'm really passionate about that part of it because um, interception work isn't like something that we should be coming at someone and saying, we're going to fix your interception. Like that's not it at all. It is, we're going to help you discover and we're going to help you understand your own experience. Mm. Can you expand on that? Like, I love this train of thought where you're going with this. I mean, we did speak about mindfulness, but is there any other clarity that you can bring to how we can help people understand their own interoceptive sense and bring more awareness to that in their experience yeah so if we go back to like some of the examples i was giving with the hands and like they're doing experiments or they're noticing the way their hands feel during daily occupations it's not us saying oh your hands must feel cold right now it's us saying how do your hands feel right now and even if they say something that's against what we would say or out of our expectations we are always validating their answers and we're always accepting their answers as true. Um, sometimes they might be confused, but we still validate it. And then we just kind of repeat and do a lot more work and then help them sort it out rather than us telling them what the answer should be. Um, because that's not the way that it works for all of us, right? Like we all, I know I keep saying this, but we all have different inner experiences. And so um, I see this so often, like we teach like our, our clients, like, oh, stress should feel, your level of arousal goes up, your heart races, your muscles get tight. And that's not true for all of us right? Like we have clients, I'm sure that they go into freeze mode, they shut down, they're, they're laying on the floor with no energy, their brains are shut off. And so we really need to set up this process of self-discovery and stop telling people what their experience should be. I think we're good at it as OTs, but in mental health field in general, we need to like, you know, do a better job. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's fantastic. In terms of stress, because you just mentioned that, would we still do the whole process of mindfulness of looking at the hands, like start at the hands and then work to more the internal organs of how they're feeling? Like, what does that process look like? Because you did mention at the start, we start with the hands and then we'll do sort of part by part. We'll, we'll sort of get to different parts of the body and um, do different activities with them, I suppose, where we're focusing on that and seeing what that feels like for them. How do we start then to look at the internal senses and find out what that feels like for them. How do we test that? <laughs> That's a great question. So with the interception curriculum, we, um, the first part of that curriculum is um, divided into 15 different body parts and we start with outside body parts first. So noticing, understanding how your hands feel, your feet feel, your mouth feels, your nose feels, your ears feel. And then they really start to catch on and to that process, they become really successful 
then they're better equipped to move their way inside and start noticing like what their heart feels like or their lungs or their muscles or their stomach or their bladder. Um, we learned this through lots of mistakes. <laughs> like, you know, when I want to do toileting, I want to come right at the bladder. You know, I went fast, fast, I went fast outcomes, but we realized that that was way too overwhelming and abstract. Uh, and that we, you still can work on toileting sensations in say your hands. Like you can notice when your hands feel wet, you can notice when your hands feel dry, you can notice when they feel clean or messy or tight or loose. So those are all toileting sensations that you can still do on the outside of your body and then slowly work your way to the inside. And that has been so much more successful for a wide variety of learners. Even like I've had adult clients that are you know, have amazing like jobs, you know, they're statisticians and they're like brilliant. And um, IQ does not correlate with interceptive ability at all. And so we really, re we realized early on that we had to make this simple um, so that people, like we said, we don't get overwhelmed, that this is successful for them um, as soon as they start. Because I think what happens with mindfulness is, um, or at least for a lot of my clients, like the adult clients especially they know that it's something that a lot of people are doing and that it has all these benefits and then they try and it shuts them down completely because it's too much of a mismatch so um, really starting with those outside body parts working your way in and gradually building up to your ability to 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 participate in traditional mindfulness if that's your goal um, can be really helpful mm. so would you like go for a walk or something with the client to help them feel how their hearts feel you know beating and that kind of thing like how do you arouse yeah. those senses to make them feel it yeah so every single body part we're doing different experiments that evoke a stronger feeling so with the heart like we'll do fun things it depends on the age of who my client is but maybe we'll do jumping jacks or we'll run up a flight of stairs or like you said we can go for a walk or we lay still in bean bags and we just do a whole bunch of different fun activities sometimes i let them make them up if they're cognitively able um, and we just really start tuning in to how their heart is feeling or whatever body part it is that we're working on. Mm -hmm. I also had, I posted um, in our OT Lifestyle Movement Facebook group that I was speaking to someone about interoception um, and we had a few questions and one of them was around whether proprioception influences interoception. And I can imagine it does because obviously if we go for a walk or like you said, do jumping jacks or um, engage in a heavy work activity, this changes our internal sense. So obviously our body temperature, our tightness in our muscles, our heart rate. Can you explain this relationship a little bit more and maybe give some clarity a bit more around this? Yeah, I wish I could because right now we don't have enough research <laughs> looking at, I mean, interoception, the field is in its infancy, really like it, it was defined back in the early 1900s, I think like 1906, but only in 2002 did a brilliant neuroscientist named uh, Dr. Bud Craig start really widely studying this and everyone's like, whoa, this is like a huge deal. And so think about how early that field is, 2002, right? That's only, what is that, 19 years or something like that? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Am I doing that? Yes. Not long, okay? <laughs> uh, sorry, it's the end of the day for me. Um, and so not long at all. And, um, and so we don't know, we've learned a lot, but we don't know how interoception um, works with all of the other senses. Um, there hasn't been a lot of research looking at that yet. Um, and I can't wait to see what we discover. Mm. Uh, I can't answer that question mm. in an evidence-based way. But I think yeah. what you're what you're explaining makes a lot of clinical sense. Mm, mm, interesting. And there was one other thing I wanted to touch on, and it, when we're talking about different conditions and how interoception may be appropriate to be looking at this sense, um, and that is trauma, because you mentioned that earlier on, and I'd love to know the connection here. Yeah. So a lot of trauma researchers um, will make. Um, a lot of a lot of their findings is that every single person that has experienced trauma has an, some form of an interception difference, whether it's over responsivity or under responsivity. So, if you're supporting uh, a client that has a history of trauma, you need to know about interoception. Um, it's starting to influence a lot of um, 
different professions out there and the supports they're providing to someone with trauma. Um, sometimes like the mental health um, arena, they'll call it somatic based therapy. Um, but what they're really talking about is interoception based therapy. Um, and I mean, I think if we even take it a step further and think about even we're talking a lot about trauma um, that is experienced by um, people that have neuro differences. Um, so we have to like, I think in the next few years, we're really going to expand our thinking about the causes of trauma. Um, and sometimes I think our, our, many of us, our definitions of the causes of trauma can be very narrow um, when we really need to think about the person themselves. And it's really trauma is how we respond to an event. And the way you respond to something is different than the way that I respond. And so like, even if we're thinking about um, some of these um, clients that have neurodifferences, um, the trauma that they are going through, being exposed to certain forms of treatment, like behavior, like compliance-based approaches, like that is traumatic for so many of these clients or, um, you know, just the, the social isolation that they can feel or being constantly try, like people trying to normalize them and not validating who they are. Like there's just so many traumas so happening right. and impacting the interceptive sense among other things, but interception is such a big piece of it. Mm. Uh, Kim Barthel, when I had a chat with her, she was saying that trauma is anything that takes you outside your window of tolerance. So even for the child who has sensory processing challenges in terms of they are oversensitive to tactile information. So if they have sensitivities putting their socks on, that is a trauma mm -hmm. because of their subjective experience around that. Um, so I think absolutely what you're saying is right, is really taking our, ourselves out of ourselves and really looking at it through the client's experience and looking through their lens and how they are experiencing the world um, is really important. So, yeah. So with this, then what, what sort of work can we be doing in this space? It, again, it's the mindfulness, it's bringing their awareness to it. Do we have to be more sensitive to it? Because obviously we're working with people who have experienced trauma. Um, what, what, what do we, what do we need to be mindful of when yeah. we're working in this space? Yeah. Um, well, when in our, in our workshops, um, we are always talking about how before you do any interception work, um, we need to have uh, co-regulation. We need to have a really well-established trusting relationship. That client needs to feel safe with us. Like, that is our number one thing that we need to establish first is that that client feels safe with us. And then we can move forward after that. And it's lots of co-regulation, and then it's the interception work, um, because even just from like a clinical standpoint, if your client doesn't feel safe, their attention is going to most likely be pulled to the outside world. They're going to be hyper vigilant of the environment, waiting for or of you, and waiting for that next like insult to their neurology, that fight or flight response, and they're not going to have any attentional resources to be able to tune into the inside of their body. So our work is always trauma-informed, always that relationship first, co-regulation, then the interception work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything else you wanted to say that we might not have covered on that would be really important for OTs to know if they're wanting to incorporate interoception, if they're wanting to assess it, if they're wanting to address it, if they're wanting to work within this space, what, what have we missed? Um, I think we covered a lot. Um, I don't know why this is coming to my head, but we're working really hard to bring evidence behind um, this work. And so we're in year four uh, where I teach at Elizabethtown College and we're having amazing um, outcomes uh, in our intervention studies. So we've been studying the effectiveness of the interception curriculum and um, having a lot of um, awesome outcomes. So if you're doing this work and you are willing to collect data, I think you should because like continue to help put evidence behind this because it's so important for so many of our clients. Mm, fantastic. That's awesome. That's so good. All the work that you're doing in this space is great. Um, well, before we finish off, I've got a few rapid fire questions. 
So, are you ready? <laughs> oh, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> all right, number one, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? Um, helping people to flourish. Fantastic. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Um, listen to your body. Tune into your body. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of us li live a very busy lifestyle and we don't take a lot of time to stop and tune in. So t stop and tune in and listen to what your body's saying. Mm -hmm. Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? Um, to stay true to our amazing profession and provide services that our client-centered and meaningful to each person. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Kelly. You're Thank amazing. You. How can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Because you do have an amazing website with lots of information on interoception. Can you just, and you're probably on social media. Can you give us all the information for that? Sure. Uh, my website is kelly-mahler.com. Um, and you can also join us on Facebook. We have an interception Facebook group that has like over 15,000 people all around the world. It's super supportive. Um, so you can find us on there as well. Awesome. And your last name is M-A-H-L-E-R. That's correct. Yes. Just for those who are wanting to yes, type that sorry. in. <laughs> yes. Yep. M-A-H-L-E-R. So kelly-mahler.com. Um, we have lots and lots of free resources on the website, videos, free printables. Um, we just want to make sure that we are giving lots of resources to help educate everyone about this topic. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope it inspires you to take action. If you hang out over on Instagram, come over and say hi. Let's connect. I'm at Rhiannon Chris. And we'd absolutely love your radiant energy in our Facebook group family. You can find us simply by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, open-minded OTs from around the world. And if you are sharing it on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Rhiannon Chris so I can share it on my platforms as well. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. So that's it, guys. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world, one occupation at a time. Carpe diem, guys.